from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. In a ring uh, accompanied by, uh, by song. And when I, when I read that, it kind of made me think of uh, like the May Day celebrations where the kids are holding hands, dancing in circles around the Maypole, or when you're out, you know, several of the dances, you know, you would get in a circle and dance. And I, I could kind of, kind of see that. And through the years, it just kind of becomes attached to the Christmas season, and it becomes Christmas carols instead of Christmas hymns, apparently. That's the best that I could find, into, according to Google and some websites that I'd never heard of before. So we'll, we'll go with that because, it, you know, like I said, I saw it more than twice. But it does make sense because it's about singing and understanding the joy of the Savior's birth, the coming Savior, the Messiah, into the world. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to examine the theology behind some of the carols that we sing. We're going to look specifically at, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, What Child Is This, O Come, All Ye Faithful, and Joy to the World. And as you can see this morning, we are starting with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is hymn 76 in your hymn book. And as we look at these hymns, this particular hymn is the oldest of the five. It takes us back to about the ninth century and monastic life and, and, and monks and the week leading up to Christmas. For the week leading up to Christmas, each night they would sing a different hymn, preparing them for Christmas. And you might well guess that this is the one that they sung on Christmas Eve. Now, of course, if you were a monk in, in ninth century Europe, you would not be singing it in English. You would be singing it in, in Latin. And the reason I, I bring that to your attention is because when we translate it from one language to another, we lose the word order or we have to insert things to make it, it flow for us as we speak. So when you look at the hymn, you, you will notice that sometimes we put a few words in front of like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, but instead it's just in the Latin, it's just Emmanuel. It, it's, it's just day spring, it's, it's just the, the root of, of, of Jesse. And when they wrote this, they wrote it in a very specific way. And, and, and what it's called, and I, I learned something new uh, this week with hymns, when you have a stanza that has that, that, the letter O, when you sing the O, it's called an O antiphon. Now, I had to look this up because I had no idea what it is. But it's really just where you would, you would lead in with the O and you would sing it, and then somebody would respond and sing it as well. Kind of like when we do row, row, row your boat, and one half does it, and then the other half does it. That, that was kind of the lead-in. So someone would start O Emmanuel, and then the other group, the other side would come in and start with O, Emmanuel. And those O's are driving our attention to a specific attribute of the coming Messiah. Right? When, you, when you look down through there, you see O, Emmanuel, O, o Dayspring, o, o Wisdom, o, o Root of Jesse. You get the idea. They're, they're leading up to this. Now, one of the things that was true about this hymn was it was sung in monasteries, so it kind of stayed hidden 
until about 1845 when a man by the name of John Mason Neal discovered it and translated it into English. Now here's something else I discovered doing this. It is amazing how through the years, once something gets translated, people will then come to the hymn and rearrange it, rework it, add a line to it, add a different stanza to it, right? Because in looking this hymn up, the Methodists have their version, the Presbyterians have their version, we have our version, and the Latin has the Latin version. And none of them are the same. Uh, it, it, is, it is really interesting just how they do that. But as we come and we sing this, one of the things that is, that is really interesting about this particular uh, carol is the, the, the melody. I mean, it just, it kind of, one person described it as haunting and evocative. And you can kind of hear that, understand that as you're singing it and, and you're leading up, leading up and then until you hit to the chorus, rejoice, rejoice. You know, just it bursts forth from that kind of the, 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 the longing and, and, and evocative melody there to burst forth and rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel is coming. And so the, the monks would sing this in the Latin, and, and they wrote it. And when they wrote it, they did something really interesting, right? Because I said, they're, they're building up. We, we kind of lose this. They're building up. So they're singing songs for seven days. They're singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, which actually in the Latin has seven verses, not just the four. And they did something really interesting in the stanzas. And I put it up on the screen for you because I want you to see the intentionality as they were writing this. And the first thing that you may notice is that when you look at that, Emmanuel, although we sing it first, they sung it last. So again, put yourself in their perspective. They're building up to Christmas, so they're leading up to it for seven days, and on Christmas Eve, this is their final song, and the final stanza of the final song leading up to Christmas Eve, they call out the name Emmanuel. But one of the things that they did is if you look when you go backwards, and again, this, this was intentional. This was not just a fluke. When you go up from the back, when you go from a manual to the, the seventh verse to the first verse, it actually produces a Latin phrase that means tomorrow I will be. Right? That, that's when they sung it. They're singing it because they know that tomorrow a manual comes. Tomorrow the Messiah comes. And this is what they are looking for. This would help explain the longing that is in there. The longing that is in the song. The longing of our souls so that we can get to the point where we say, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. He is coming. And He's coming, and when He does, He's providing hope to His people. So this morning, through the song and through selected scriptures, let's look at four ways that we see hope provided through the names used in the verses. And the first one is this. Emmanuel provides hope for salvation. I forgot to get the hymnal. I'm glad y'all have it. I forgot. Emmanuel provides hope for salvation. Because the hymn writer says, and ransom captive is Rael. Now, we don't use that word ransom very much the way that they do it. 
It's a plea for salvation. It's a plea for help. So in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14, and you can either just jot these down, you can track along with me or, uh, or look them up later or go to the website and, and print out the study guide, you will find them. Isaiah, 10, Isaiah 7, 10 through 14, the Lord speaks to Ahaz and he says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. God, let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you may weary God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear you a son and call his name Emmanuel. When Isaiah pins this, Israel and Syria are coming down to attack Judah. They're about to be taken off into captivity. And what they need, what they need to, to withstand that, what they need in helps of defeating them is for God to come be with them. Right? Because that's what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel means God with us. And so right here in this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah is telling the, the king, look, hey, ask Lord and he will give you a sign. He will deliver you. And then Ahaz the king says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so uh, Isaiah continues and said, look, he's going to give you a sign and the sign is going to be this. And by the way, you're going to call his name Emmanuel, God with you, because you don't want God to be with you. So the sign is going to be that God is going to be with them even though you don't yourself, O king, want that truth. You see, Isaiah and the people of Israel understood that in their history, when God was with them, they were saved. When God was with them, they were victorious, right? Coming up out of Egypt, God was with them, and they were saved. Leading them through the desert, God was with them, and they were saved. Coming into the land, God was with them, and they took over the land. When the Philistines or the Canaanites would attack, God would be with them and drive them out. When God was with them, God saved His people. And so they're calling out, we, we need Emmanuel, God with us. But more than just the physical victories, what they need is they need a spiritual victory because their spiritual rebellion, their sin has, has caused separation. A separation that is going to drive them into slavery, which once more when they are in slavery, they will be calling out, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. We, we need you to ransom us. We need you to rescue us from our sins and deliver us from our captivity. We need the salvation that can only come through God who is with us. That is their greatest need. That is our greatest need. Emmanuel, God with us to come and save us and rescue us from our sins. And that need and all the ones we will see this morning were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 21, the, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. And you know the story. He was engaged to be married to uh, Mary at this time, but there was a problem. Mary was a pregnant virgin, which just doesn't happen. Right? It does not happen. It is a miracle for a reason. So Joseph is trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't want to be stigmatized his entire life marrying the pregnant virgin, 
right? And, and everybody kind of winking and nodding. Yeah, okay, she wasn't really a virgin there, Joseph. So the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, right? And he said, for the Lord what will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew continues to, to write and says, This all took place according to the prophet Isaiah, who said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, thereby connecting Jesus with Emmanuel, the work of Jesus who is going to save them from their sins because Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God in person, God with them, came down out of heaven. So the hope of salvation is found in and only in Jesus Christ, who is God with us. Perfectly God and perfectly man. So that through his death and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we can be saved. Emmanuel provides hope for salvation. But Emmanuel also provides hope for healing. Provides hope for healing. Prophet Malachi, if you are in Matthew, you just flip back a couple pages. Malachi is writing, and he writes this in Malachi 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Son of Righteousness. Now, when you look in the hymn, it says, O come thou dayspring, come and cheer. But it is, it is the same word. It's the same word idea, the sun of righteousness. Dayspring just means the rising of the sun. And if you notice in that passage in Malachi, where he says that the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, it's actually sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N. However, that particular verse is pointing to Jesus Christ who will come out. And we see this fulfilled in, in, in Luke 178 as uh, Zechariah is prophesying about John the Baptist, and he says the day spring is coming, the, the one who is coming to bring a new day, who is coming to bring healing. He says, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Jesus is coming to bring the healing that we need, the tender mercy of God, when the sun of righteousness, when the day spring shall come and visit and bring healing to us. Now, I know this morning we prayed for many physical healings, and we need that, and it's appropriate to pray for that. But the healing that is talked about in Malachi, that is seen in Jesus Christ, is not just physical healing, although we need that, it is spiritual healing. Right? Because as, as it, Luke records, we've been sitting in darkness. We, we, we've been sitting in the darkness with, with death casting its shadow over us. And we're helpless and we're lost in the sin of our darkness or in the darkness of our sin. We, we, we can't get out. We, we can't see our way to get out of our sins. And so we need 
Jesus. We need Emmanuel to come, and when he arrives, he brings with him light that doesn't just shine in the darkness, right? It, it doesn't just shine. Right now, with, with daylight savings time or whatever it is, standard time, whatever we are now, I don't know anymore. When I go out to walk our dog in the evenings, it gets dark really early, right? And so now I, I make sure to, to turn on my porch light so I can just have a little bit of, of extra light. I got a security light on one side. I got the porch light here and a security light around the, the back. I kind of have this, this area where I can walk her. I can see where I'm walking. We can play ball for a little bit. I can still see the ball. So when she doesn't go get it, I can go get it, right? But the thing about the light that we see is, and, and you know it too, there, there becomes an area you can almost see the line where the light just stops, right? You, you can see kind of uh, right up to that line, but on the other side of that line, you, you can't see it. It's, it's dark, right? Because we're used to light kind of illuminating a particular area of darkness. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus doesn't just illuminate a certain spot, when Jesus comes as the Son of Righteousness, as the day spring, He drives darkness out. He overwhelms the darkness. There is no darkness that Jesus does not have victory over. His light is greater than all the darkness. You will not see any darkness in Him. Any darkness in His light is a pure light that shines into the darkness and dispels all of our sins, so that we can see in our darkness the way out. And the way out is through Jesus Christ. He comes with healing in His wings as the Son of Righteousness, so that we will never walk in darkness again. That's what He has he's come to do. He's come to heal us from our sin. And when you read that verse in, in Malachi, it's a, it's a really interesting verse because it talks about the hem of the garment, and that kind of points to uh, the hem of his robe bringing healing. And you can see that in the Scriptures where people will reach out and touch his robe and, and, and be healed. But look at what it says. I just I, I love this descriptor. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, this morning, I, I don't really want to call you a cow. Because that, that, that seems rude. Right? However, we have all seen pictures either on Facebook or through real life of, of that little baby cow who's just so happy to get out of the barn and just, uh, you can't even describe it, just kind of flopping here, there, and everything. The cow's just happy to be out in the pasture. When Emmanuel comes and brings healing of our sin to us, it causes that same excitement and jubilation in us where we just want to rejoice, rejoice Emmanuel because He has brought healing to us. And it's a cause for joy and celebration and dancing and praising God for that because Emmanuel provides healing. But then next, Emmanuel provides hope for life. And on this one, I actually didn't use one in our hymnal. I went to one. I think the words are on the screen. Verse 4 says, O come, branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From the depths of hell your people save. 
and give them victory over the grave. And when we read that verse, we're reminded that there is someone coming from, first of all, the branch of Jesse's stem. Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the house of Jesse there is not pointing to Jesse, but to his son David. Right? The, the line, uh, uh, the promise that, that God had made to David, someone from your line will always sit on your throne. But when you get to, to Isaiah, that throne, is, 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 that line is looking like it's going to be cut off. They're about to go in captivity. Who, who's, who's going to be king? But Isaiah makes a promise that there, there is one to come. It may look, and when they go out into captivity, because even today, is there a king in Israel or Jerusalem today? There is not. There's not a throne in Jerusalem. There's no one in Jerusalem from the line of David sitting on that throne. So you might go, the, the stump, the, the tree has, has been cut down. There's only a stump. What's going to happen? And Isaiah says, look, yeah, it's been cut down, but there's going to be a branch that comes from the stump, because I've made a promise to you that someone will sit on your throne and there's going to be the one who will come who will sit on it for all eternity, who can fulfill every promise that I made to you, David, that you cannot just because you are earthly. There is one to come who will be eternal. So when Matthew writes in Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, He is reminding us of the prophecy that Isaiah wrote. He is reminding us of the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel. David, there is one who is coming who will sit on your throne forever and ever, and the one who comes is Jesus Christ. He is the eternal one. He lives forever. Death has no hold on him as we see in that fourth stanza. And because death has no hold on him, He is in a unique position to rescue His people from the hold that death has on us. I know it's Christmas, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves if we talk about Jesus going to the cross and dying and raising again on the third day. But you can't separate Christmas from Easter, and you can't separate Easter from Christmas. They go hand in hand. So Jesus comes, He is born, He is incarnated, He is Emmanuel, God with us, so that He can come and die on the cross for our sins, be buried in the tomb, but then raise again on the third day, defeating hell, defeating death. And through His victory, He can now give us victory over the grave as well. Right? We as a church have been to several funerals over the past month to six weeks, right? It's a a, a grim reminder of where we're all headed on this earth, right? Barring Jesus returning beforehand, you know, death will catch up with us at some point. However, the promise for the Christian is not the escape from death. Right? Not, not physical death anyway. The promise for us is so much better. We're promised victory 
over the grave. So the grave loses, we win. Why? Because when our body goes into the grave, we've already gone to be with Jesus. Right? We're already there. When someone dies in between the funeral, there's usually a couple days, but that's all right. The grave didn't win. It looks like the grave has won. The person is being lowered into the grave and going to be sealed. It's like, man, that's, that's such a loss. No, it's not. If they're a believer in Christ, that's, they've already had their victory two days earlier because Jesus comes and gives us life. He gives us life, life eternal. So that, yes, our body goes into the grave, but there's going to come a day when our bodies and our souls will be reunited. Why? Because we will be alive. God says, I am the God of the living. I am not the God of the dead. That would be depressing and sad. But He is the God of living. So we can agree, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who raises us up and rescues us from hell and gives us victory over the grave. Emmanuel gives us life. But then finally, Emmanuel provides hope for peace. Emmanuel provides hope for peace. The fourth stanza of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel says, talks about binding every strife and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. I think that perhaps one of the most or the most common answer to the question of, if you only had one wish, I, I, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe it's a run for the money. I think maybe before it used to be world peace, right? I, I think people kind of felt like they, they had to say that, right? They are obligated. You know, the old joke about the, the, the oh, I don't even know what the correct terminology is. I was about to get into trouble and call it a beauty pageant. Um, I, I don't even know, but... I don't know what they're called anymore, but they had the, the part where they would ask the contestants, you know, if you had one wish, and, and the running joke was, I would wish for world peace, right? I mean, I don't think anybody ever said that, but it's just kind of there. You feel like you're obligated to say that. What do you want? I want world peace, right? Because we all want it. I mean, strife and derision and, and fighting and quarrels, that's it's just not fun. Most people don't enjoy that. We, we, we want peace. But if you take just a millisecond to look around what's going on, you realize that that's not true. Right? Nations say they want peace, but you see very few, if any, working towards that. Right? We seem to be a contentious lot. And it's manifested in everything from our daily life to who cuts itself on the road to who does what wrong at work, up into our political life, our political opponents, to, to national and geopolitical implications. It just seems like we are just contentious people. And, and the reason why is because we can't have peace with each other outside of peace with God. It, it, it's not possible. It's really not. It's why when Isaiah writes in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can give peace. Emmanuel, God with us, is the only one that can give us peace in our souls, in our restlessness, so that we can have peace with others, and the prayer being that that would expand and that would grow, and that it would overwhelm the world, right? So that the whole world would be filled with heaven's peace. Because outside of Emmanuel, we just can't do it. But he comes and he provides us peace. And the most important peace is the peace that we have with God. And the only way we get that is through Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. You go to Ephesians and and, and you go to chapter 2 and you're looking and he says he's going to come to preach peace to those who are far off and and peace to those who are near. One of the things when I read that, I thought that was really interesting. Far off and near. But in your separation with God and and, and the point being that, that Paul is making, those who are far off are the Gentiles, those who are closer are the Jews. But let's make no mistake about it. If you're separated from God, it doesn't matter if you're near or far, you're still separated. The chasm is too big. You can't get across. So how in the world are we going then to, to end that hostility? Well, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace now. He is the only one. He is the only one who can give us peace in our soul. He is the only one who can bring heaven's peace to the entire world. And one day it will, right? One day when Jesus returns, His rule will be marked by one of peace. But until then, our souls are filled with angst. Our souls are longing for that peace that only can be filled by Emmanuel, God with us. So as we look at this hymn this morning and we look at the theology behind it and how the the author consistently drives us back to Scripture, you can see why I said that this is a hymn of hope. Because it reminds us, and especially, Gary, did you time this to be on the first Advent of Sunday? Yes, I did. Because it talks about hope. Hope. Because this Christmas, we are reminded that Emmanuel means whatever your circumstances, wherever you are, far off or near, that Emmanuel, God with us, gives you hope. Emmanuel is hope for the hurting. Emmanuel is is hope for the weary. Emmanuel is, is hope for the fearful. Emmanuel is hope for the broken. Emmanuel is hope for the downtrodden. Emmanuel is hope for the lost. Because only Emmanuel can provide the peace, can provide the salvation, the life, the healing that people need. It is only through Emmanuel that the hope that our weary world needs can be satisfied. 
It is only through Emmanuel that our loneliness can be satisfied. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.